Welcome to my very irregular podcast, Willosophy. Uh, thank you very much for sticking with it. If you have stuck with it, uh, thank you very much for tuning in for the first time. If this is your first time, uh, this is a podcast where I guess I just sit down with people and talk to them about their life. What they I ask them uh, to uh, to explain who they are, and I ask them to if they have a particular philosophy, whether it has to do with work or life or love or whatever. It doesn't really matter. I'm, and then we just have a chat and uh, it's all people that I know in some way. It's all people that are connected to my life in some way. I, I guess I kind of have a hope with this podcast that you will not only learn something about the person, but you will learn something about the world in which I live and and that I will get to learn more about people that I actually already know in my world, some of them a little bit, some of them a lot through doing this podcast, but it also is a really fucking difficult podcast to, to fit into my schedule. At the moment, I have my regular podcasts, um, Tofop, Fofop, and uh, uh, Charlie and I have a footy podcast at the moment, uh, Two Guys, One Cup AFL podcast. So it's been a pretty hectic schedule considering that Charlie and I particularly uh, are not in the same country So and have been in various different countries. So we've been trying to coordinate things through Skype and get uh, things done. So it's been a pretty busy workload. And the hardest thing with this podcast is I ask of my guests, you know, a couple of hours of their time, really minimum. And to be honest, I'd like to talk for more, but I think it's unreasonable to ask for more than two hours of like somebody else's time. But I also kind of ask, you know, something of them, which is to to come here and kind of have a chat about their lives on that level. And uh, it can be a little exhausting, I guess, to do it. I like it. I like it. I enjoy doing it. I uh, But it is the hardest of all the shows that I have to do and the the one that uh, always tends to get shunted at the back. Uh, a lot of the time just by schedule, you know, I don't want to just have people on just so I can get it out every week. So often, you know, Tim Minchin and I have been, you know, <laughs> tagging uh, phone calls and emails and based on this, I'd say for, I mean, he was one of the first people I wanted to have on when I started this podcast and we've been talking about it since then, but we've just never been able to coordinate it in the schedules. And I was joking to someone the other day to the point now that I used to communicate directly with Tim and now he has an assistant. So his career has really blown up in the time that we haven't got him to do this podcast. But uh, mine's still exactly the same. It's still me sending the emails and still me doing the podcast. And uh, so I do have to find time in my calendar to get it done. So anyway, that's a lot of, you know, sometimes people just hit me up and ask and like, when's it coming out? I would love it to come out more regularly, but the truth of it is that it's hard to fit into my schedule, so it comes out when it comes out. Uh, I am coming back to Australia to do Gruen, though, and I am hoping, uh, you know, but this is a hope without a promise, I am hoping that when I'm back in Australia, maybe I will have some time in my schedule to record a few when I'm uh, back in the one place uh, for an extended period of time. So, fingers crossed. Let's see what happens on that one. All right. Uh, this chat today that you're going to listen to uh, is my friend uh, Nina Las Vegas. If you do not know Nina, I think uh, people in particular worlds will know her very well and then I guess she might be one of those people that if you're outside those worlds that you are not as aware of, um, I think you're going to enjoy this chat with her. She's a really interesting person, someone I've known you know, a little bit on and off and uh, over the years and uh, yeah, someone that I really enjoyed sitting down and talking to. We, d- we actually had this chat 
I guess six weeks ago or even more longer than that. So um, I was hoping, I was holding on to it, hoping that I could put it up as a, like, you know, a batch of new ones. <laughs> so anyway, I put it uh, up. I don't have any other new ones at this stage, but who fucking knows? Maybe by the time you guys hear this and, you know, maybe, who knows? Who knows what might happen? Probably nothing. But anyway, at least this one's gone up and uh, hope you enjoyed. If you do, let, let Nina know. Check out her stuff and the things she's working on and uh, let her know that you enjoyed hearing the podcast. And if it's your first time here on the podcast, check out some of the other ones. There's a whole bunch of them. I, uh, I, I hope that you might enjoy them. I think they're all great in their own uh, ways. I've uh, I really have enjoyed uh, speaking to each of the people I've had on the podcast, and I guess that's uh, probably part of the reason that it's you know harder to get up regularly. Is I really do try to you know balance it out and think about you know who I should have on and and you know uh, anyway whatever you don't need to know that you don't need, you just like just fucking play the podcast. All right, here's the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson, and uh, I'm going to get straight into it. Uh, guest, who are you? I am Nina Las Vegas, and I am a DJ, a producer, a former Triple J radio host like yourself. I'm also a country girl like yourself, but you're a country boy. Well, I mean, you know, I grew <laughs> and up. And I'm a, not that country. I grew actually. up a country girl, yeah, but I've developed into right. an urban man. Yeah, yeah. Well, me too, weirdly. <laughs> um, and now I run a record label and I'm working for myself right now. And that's, uh, that's a nice, interesting place for us to start, actually, the fact that you're working for yourself now because I've, <coughs> not closely, but I have got to watch some of you go from a period where you were working for other people to genuinely stepping out on your own. Um, talk to me about that experience of itself like that transition to like taking that step out what does it involve what is what why did you want to do it like what you know what what has it been like so far tell, tell me about that well I feel like I was always happy to stay in a team I work well in teams okay and I'm I'm happy to work for people but then um at Triple J I started running my own show I started producing my own show and presenting my own show and and basically doing it for myself but ultimately for a corporation being the ABC um I also had other interests that I was lucky enough to to kind of like navigate through both journeys I was able to work for the ABC and also then run a side business as a DJ and although I wasn't doing commercial stuff I was able to make a pretty good living from doing both I feel like I, I've said it to a few people I was definitely the older child for like some some of the newer presenters who you see doing a million things now like the amount of kind of energy I had to go through to get approval to like do a gig or like without management at the time which I'm sure was different for the the comics in that world I was kind of the ner- the first the first kind of DJ DJ to kind of be a personality too. So I think that it came a point where I was just like, I've done all I can and I really wanted to do more, but I wanted to do it my way. And I think I was just starting to battle with the, the management and the, the kind of corporation stopping me. And I was just like, it doesn't make sense. Like I've grown with this corporation for like 11 years and now I feel like I'm passing it. 
Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Like, I mean, often and I, look, the ABC, we, which is a brilliant uh, place for younger people to learn their crafts, and uh, it is a brilliant place for people to make entertainment in a way that it can't be made on any of the commercial networks, whether they be radio or television in Australia. Uh, but it is also a, a giant big corporation and it operates like that a lot of the time and one of the things that i think they really get wrong particularly at triple j is that they they do want you to be self like selfishly theirs yeah and there's this attitude of triple j of like why would you even do anything else but triple j yeah and the problem with that is that eventually what it what it feels like is one of those mums that doesn't want their kid to leave but what they do is actually drive them out of home yeah and if if you just let them have their girlfriend stay over a couple of times at home they'd still be living with you mum and and the (laughs) thing was you know like i was getting very lucky towards the end i'd I'd shaped my programming i'd stopped doing house party the big one the really popular one Uh because i was just bored of it like i can't fake being interested in something like that's I think that would get me to a little bit was like there was only so much creativity I could have doing a weekly program and it's just really hard when you are making a weekly program when that's the structure and you can't change it really you know you do a good job and you build the audience but you can't change it really unless you were to do new platforms and stuff. And I just wasn't ready for where I wanted to be, which was traveling and working and, and being on the other side, which I'd always, um, I'd always put aside. I, I always had this big philosophy of like only having one thing going at a time because then you can be totally involved in that. I can multitask, but I can't, I don't want to be a musician while I'm being a broadcaster, if that makes sense, because I don't want to put something out that some people find shit, as I would a broadcaster find some people's work shit, and then have to pretend that I knew everything about everyone else's work. Well, you know, so it was just like, okay, I got to do something for myself and and stop. But yeah, leaving a corporation, I say corporation, leaving a community, which is Triple J It also is. Triple J in particular is. And I mean, that one, more than anything, is like, it's not just the community of uh, the people you work with, but you are bonded with the people you work with forever by the audience of that station. I still say we. Like, I still say, oh, we play that. And like, I haven't been part of the station for like six months, but it's still just in me to go, oh yeah, we play that. Uh, I don't think that goes away. You I mean, yeah, I, yeah, still, I like... still speak on behalf of Triple J yeah. and I haven't been over there, there for over a decade. Yeah. I mean. I haven't been there for longer than I was there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Totally. But I, well, I, it's the only job I ever had. Right. I was, I was your intern. Like I did like so many, I was. Well, tell me how you started at Triple J. How did that all come about? So how did you get interested? Okay, what do I call it? Electronic music? Is that like yeah, what you. Yeah, dance music. But dance I, music? But how I, did you get interested in that? Um, I No joke. I just listened to like when I was a kid, my dad used to buy everything, every music. Like he didn't learn an instrument. So he forced me and my sister to learn one. He also let us listen to music, like okay. whatever we wanted. And. And that was really cool too because he, you know, he immigrated from Egypt. He didn't have the same upbringing as us. So he was like, I'm going to let my girls just listen to whatever. And he drove us to like Jamiroquai concerts when we were like Because in Egypt, a lot of people don't know this, but they only listen to Walk Like an Egyptian yeah, by the Yeah, they do. So yeah, it's just different versions yeah. of that song. Or Arabic trance. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, and so um, we just were really lucky. And then I actually think that I – I met this, like, my mom and dad's friend, uh, this guy called John Shepard, then became our piano teacher who became um, – uh, he's a jazz musician. I started okay. playing jazz instead of, like, like contemporary and, like, you know, classical piano. And then he had a sequencer. And I remember just using that. And also 
we were one of those families that dad had dad had all the mac products he had right. the like you know like he he had all the new toys so i always found visual stuff and music and editing and stuff really exciting so i think that electronic music just became the most obvious progression for me because i'm i am a nerd and i also like doing stuff with my ears and my eyes and i feel like that's why i like ableton and that's why i like making stuff on the computer because i can color in a track you know and it's, right. it's such a weird thing to say but that's how I can think about when I first started radio I was using pro tools and those tools and I was like I could actually picture how it would work and then make it work funnily enough like the we uh, Charlie and I for my other podcast Tofot we've started because we're in different countries all the time we've decided that uh, we will record it over Skype now and because of the nature of like recording something in different countries it's meant that we've had to take an editor on board right yeah. and anyway so what we do is we record it separately so we do it over Skype but I'm recording it here like I'm yeah. recording on this and he records at his end and then we both just send those files to our editor who you know puts them together but he says to me that he does a lot of that editing like and the balance and all those sort of things on site rather than sound yeah yeah because you'll totally. watch it visually as much as he's doing it and totally. i was like oh yeah of course right i see you know yeah because you'll watch and you can understand that matches that or that level at that or this is where i want this to be structured in yeah i mean it is fascinating to me so tell me about where you like you say country where was country oh wagga wagga yeah so i never thought of us as a small town like i never thought of wagga as a I thought we were a city. Were like, you born and raised in? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was. Okay. Uh, we lived in Sydney for like a year on and off. Mm. Like my dad would travel. My mum's from Albury. They met at college, I think. And they were, um, we did go back and forth a fair bit. But I never thought until I got to Sydney that it was a small town. Right. You know, like I don't know if it was the same for you. I always thought that there were heaps of people at in Wagga. There was heaps of opportunities. How many people, how many people live in Wagga? Do you I know? think now there's like almost like. Oh, they'd have to be like – I when I was at school, I think it was like sixty or 70,000. Yeah. So to me, that is a big city. Yeah. Like where, where I grew up, like so I'm from Denison, which is 354, last survey. Yeah. Uh, then there was Hayfield, which is 1,200, where I went to primary school and played like sports and stuff like that. Then there was Sale, which was 12,000, which yeah. is where I went to school. And to me, Sale was – felt like a big yeah a big place so like Wagga would have definitely felt like a really big place yeah no and it still does but then you go you first you so basically what happened was I really wanted to do music and a lot of people said to me not my parents they I, I auditioned for the con I did on stage like I did all that stuff and everyone was happy with what I wanted to do but I didn't really know and someone had said to me um I always wanted to be in radio. I grew up listening to Triple J. I grew up like I I wanted to be in that music side. Like I didn't ever go to concerts in Wagga except for Big Day Out when we drove up. And then um, and then I just I literally studied my ass off in the HSC. Did music drama like everything that you think I would do, I did. And then um, and then I just didn't go that well because like. I, I mean, I did go well, but I didn't go well as like a North Sydney girls girl would go in an average setting. Like that's what hit me when I got to school and I realized that I actually was quite smart, but like the bloody average of like the kids at my school, like I didn't get into the courses I wanted. Right. So I just found myself in a visual communication school next to, at UTS next to Triple J, next to the ABC building. Right. And I switched and did radio. And then I just kept doing more and more and teaching myself. And I was like, I've just – and then I met Dawes at a pub for real. And he and Dawes got me 
uh, internship. And then I just hung around, realised no one was making stuff behind the scenes. Well, Dules knew how to do that, by the way, because he basically got his job at Triple J yeah, yeah. by uh, winning an on-air competition yeah. and then never leaving the office. Totally. So. But I at least got skills. Like <laughs> <laughs> He just charmed everyone. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll do that. Like Dules' approach was pretty much, I'm still here. Yeah, totally. You might as well make use of me. Well, I was like, yeah, I'm 19 and I can use Pro Tools better than anyone else here. And so like they gave me work straight away pretty much. Yeah, it's interesting to me that like, I mean, about the idea of geographical like – uh, you know, funnily enough, because I've spent a lot of my life like in that area of like, obviously the ABC is there and I was at Triple J when the ABC yeah. was there. You know, uh, we made Glass House there. I mean, we made the first 10 episodes at the old ABC, but like we made the next 200 at that ABC. We've made like, you know, nine years of Gruen there at that ABC. I got into UTS, which is like literally just down yeah. the road, as you said, ended up going to Canberra to go to uni, but I could have like gone to UTS. Like when I worked at Southern Cross Off Stereo, it's literally up the I know. block. I've gone through Devonshire Tunnel like six billion times. The like, amount like, of my life that has been focused around I like mean, those. Me too. Like I had a 10-year anniversary with my friends of walking through the Devonshire Street Tunnel because it was literally there from the moment I started uni to like last October, like every day, that corner of Ultimo. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. So sometimes I do think that just putting yourself in in the – I guess it's why actors move to Hollywood. Uh, and it's, why, like, I'm, it's right. why I'm tempted to be here because it is still like that. Like I was just at Coachella and it felt like it was more important to be backstage with managers and agents right. than in a crowd. Well, at the end of the day, like, I mean, and your example of duels is an example of it, but it is it – is, it is broadly played out throughout the world, which is a lot of the time the people who get hired for things are the people that someone knows. Yeah. Or, you know, or that are around at the right time or at least in the scene and capable of doing those sort yeah. of things. So. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm good at networking. Like I am good at it. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think that I, I know what I can get out of people, but it doesn't mean that I'm using them. Right. I offer them my services in return. Like, yeah. So if I meet a DJ or whatever, and especially that's what I started realizing is that everyone was coming to me before going to Triple J when it came to music. Like the Diplos and the Skrillex were coming to me and I was just like, this is just crazy. Like, you know, and this is just a little – like I just – you'll see like powerful people in music kind of lists and and you think all this kind of stuff, the same old guys. And it's like you don't really get it. Like that, there's so much other stuff going on. I just can't – I can't like claim it if that makes sense. Right. And I think that's why I started to realise I needed to work for myself because like I could play a record, I could, you know, take Flume on tour, I could do all this stuff that – doesn't solely mean I helped it. I was just part of it. And like, I think I started getting a bit jaded about the fact that like, I couldn't just say, no, 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 that was me. Like, you know, I did that, you know, like that's why that song happened because I linked those guys up at a festival, you know, it's like, and I think that's why I started the label and I started stepping away because I was just a little bit tired of not being viewed as, as, as like the powerful, if that makes sense. It kind of just not, and I know that's really me being honest right now, but like I, I think I'm confident enough to say that I, I do find myself really powerful in, in electronic dance music in Australia. And, but being in that role was really good, but it's also just limiting because the community element of Triple J is that we're all in this together and we're all like, you can't, you can't benefit from it. Right. No, I, I agree with that. And yeah. look, I mean, it, but then it's a very, 
interesting there must be like a, a period of time over which you have to make a decision like that because oh, and went forever like right. i thought about it. i spoke to you about it. i thought it like because i was i mean just years like, ago too yeah like, like i mean you spoke to me literally two and a half years ago yeah or something. And just saying like because but once you leave something like that you just i think actually what started to happen was that i started seeing like my partner now and he's a music maker too and he just like just reminded me there was other stuff going on in the world yeah you know, it's as simple as that, like traveling to London and like having to explain what you do and people not knowing it. You're like, yeah, there's actually like a whole world of people that survive without your particular role. And that's kind of exciting, if that makes sense. Just, no, it's good. I mean, like, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And just like the idea of like, especially with politically with the lockout laws, the conservative nation like that we have right now, it it did fuck me. Like, like it, it, subsequently I can't work that much in Australia. So why would I stay in a role to promote probably more international acts ultimately than Australian and then can't play it? Well, talk to me about that because that's interesting to me. So talk to me about the effect that like lockout laws and things like that. So in Sydney, they've just recently brought in new ones, right, yeah. in some parts of Sydney. So I'm not quite across. Because, because Nina, you... I am an old man <laughs> who is normally in bed by that time. I'm like, the lockout laws, yeah, whatever. That's hours past my no, bedtime. It, it, you actually don't – like it doesn't really affect – even me, uh-huh. what it affects is your ability to choose what you want to do. And that's what's showing. Like it, it, even if there was no rule, we probably wouldn't have much of a change. Like it's just that kids don't realize that you can actually do your own thing and choose your own path. Right. They're just getting told, no, it's one thing tonight and you have to be home by one. And as a result, people aren't going out. They're choosing one event in a month's time and they save all their money for all their – like, you know, straight up their booze their drugs like whatever but it's once and so like not only are we encouraging like like excessive amounts on single events there's no pace there's no like there's no um freedom or flexibility and right. that's what's affected my we've been enjoying exactly right and okay. we always have but it's like the problem now is that i can't go and play multiple gigs in one city because a Kids don't go out, out that much more and it's just rippled. Clubs are closing. There's fewer venues. There's literally two places in in Sydney that I could probably play that I know this sounds but to, and that could afford me to uh-huh. play to let alone to the kids that come in. I'm not going to take money from a club that's not going to make money right. either. You know, and that, that happens. And you watch international acts get – booked and paid stupid amounts and you know that the club's not going to make money even if it's full it's just like not and that's going to happen also um yeah there's just less to do less tours coming out so less things to go to and also now it's just like this underground scene which is great things have got to get shit to get good so lots of younger people are doing different parties in smaller environments but i just like me where i am i can't play that like i can't just go sweet no it's cool I'll play underground party with no promotion like for me it's like I did that like five six years ago like I know that's not I'll go to them and I'll have a good time but it's not going to make me an income so tell me about um the because to me like electronic music like what's the uh value so in, in comedy so put in my terms for a second like in comedy I get it you go out and you do open mic comedy rooms and those sort of things and you you know you, you vibe off the crowd yeah. you get to see what works and what doesn't work is it a similar process Definitely. for people it is so like and the thing is like I have had a really gradual grow in my 
growth in my career and I'm really happy with that because my then realities are quite fine if I get like dropped by something or like not on a lineup it will happen next time and I've got a really realistic approach younger kids coming through now didn't do the two or three years that I did of residencies which is exactly like open mics playing for 50 bucks an hour playing whatever's popular whatever the crowd wants having everything on record on option to then like to to get skills to be a good DJ and just being a good musician and knowing music like and having a back catalogue of stuff that happened for it like I have got you know music from when I started playing which would have gone I've just got more music than a kid now that will do one song, goes on SoundCloud, gets a million plays, gets booked for the big room straight away, makes the big room once, doesn't make it the second time, doesn't know what to do. No one's going to book him again. Seriously. It's yeah, just so like, what's, what's the stuff you learn from playing live that you don't learn from, you know. Sitting I mean, at home. Yeah. yeah, like sitting home. That like sometimes shit happens like sometimes people don't come doesn't mean if you know what i mean like you have to just play to a crowd if it's not for you you can play a busy room and no one cares about what you're playing you can be the lounge dj you know like well i mean that is one of those things that like i must admit for me would be and i think obviously for electronic music must be the the main you know, thing or maybe the acoustic folk guy in the the corner yeah, as well yeah. but really people do believe it is something they can you know, just do. And I did see. Speaking of, actually, <laughs> speaking of the person playing the gig that no one's like. So I, I was at this thing, and they'd had comedy in the afternoon, and obviously that night they were having a DJ. So they've cleaned out the entire space where they had comedy, right? Yeah. And then that's become a dance floor. But there's the comedy crowd, aren't you? dance floor no. crowd and the dance floor crowd aren't there yet but they've got that i guess that you know comedy probably finished at six and the yeah the, the, the opener starts at like eight or whatever right well that's the thing there's actually no opening <laughs> slots the lockout has stopped a lot of people touring and a lot of people coming through sydney so the path would be you get to support like i got to support james murphy once you know like that's the kind of thing that doesn't happen anymore because right. there's fewer spots fewer chances to show what you want to do and you have to just play at icebergs on right. a Sunday. Like seriously. And, yeah. and like that's like. Throw, I, throw some sirens. And yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but also you just have to kind of just do what people want now. And that is right. not take risks because there's so few people going out. You have to just make sure the lineup is so hot, unfailable. And so then that's not fun. Like I had some of the best. No- I was telling someone who I was watching Sia that I played a New Year's Eve party once, like in 2012, and she was dating JD Sampson at that time. Uh-huh. And it was just her and JD Sampson dancing to me at nine o'clock at night on New Year's Eve in 2012. Right. And I'm like, no kid's going to ever have that experience except me. Like yeah. literally look and her yelling, I love this song. Like she's, you know, <laughs> like and seeing her like everyone talk about, I told someone, I told my friend watching, I was like, yeah, she's kind of a hoot. Like, you know, yeah. and you wouldn't have those experiences. So yeah, that was a big part of it. And I mean, I've been part of the Keep Sydney Open campaign, but Honestly, it just seems all too corrupt right now to feel like it's going to change. I mean, it's interesting to me because I've been watching it from afar, but it is the city I live in. And, you know, obviously as someone who's in the arts and entertainment, I I, I just am like a big belief. I mean, look, to be honest, also I'm a believer in the fact that when I was the age of the people who want to go out and enjoy those things, that I was out at that time yeah. of the night. 
I mean, often I'd be out until I had to go into work on the radio in yeah. the morning. Like, and I'm not saying that you need to be I mean, to come be on, like Triple J breakfast presenters <laughs> are going to get sleep before they get on the radio. This is – people haven't thought this through. But I think the thing is as well is that like I, I'm not like – I'm not an excessive like partier or like no. I go out, I dance, I drink. Like I'm not like recreation recreational use occasionally, but like I'm not an idiot. Like no. I can look after myself. I can stand up. You know, I feel more uncomfortable in a room full of businessmen and jocks than I do in a dance club. Yeah. And for some reason, like there's a full like you know, we celebrate that culture, but then the culture that is actually like the weirder one, the insular one, the darker one at night is treated as like antisocial. It's just so weird. Like, yeah. and it's just really heartbreaking too, because they'll never like young kids coming through now that might be interested in the music that is the biggest music in the world right now, won't be able to experience it. Won't be able to experience it as organically as I did. My growth and my love for it grew, you know, and it's like, it's not forced onto me. This is what we do. This is the show we go to. I just found it, you know, like I just went out and I found my friends and I found the sound and I found how to go back to it. And I found out how to do a million things in one night. Like, and now it's just, you just can't. And then the reality is that like, it just doesn't encourage creativity a little bit because it's just so, and, and venues just are in fear of cops. You know, so it's just they're sitting there waiting for them to fuck up, to shut them down. It's just so weird. Um, tell me, when you speak, uh, like when you become involved in like a cause, you know, like, you know, because uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is I, I am a believer in um, or like a lot of things, you know, like there's there's a heap of things like and issues and whatever that I'm passionate about and I'm very happy to speak about in my work. But years ago I took a like a little – and it probably was because I came from journalism I think in the background. But basically what I said was I, I, you, through my work I'll talk about what it is that I you know, think and don't think but I can't – I won't be aligned to any cause. So it's why often when there's a you know, thing that gets signed or a petition or blah, 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 I just literally am like, well, I want the, the capacity for my thoughts to be my thoughts and my thoughts only. But as I get older and you get more passionate about things and you see that like these sort of you know things are the only ways to achieve things – Every time that I say no to something because of that, I always think of the people who say yes, you know, yeah. the Tom Ballards of the world who not only is going to, you know, write some jokes and tell some stories about, you know, asylum seeker treatment, but is literally going to, you know, activate that in his life and go out well, there. That's, and that's the big be, thing that I find too. It's like it's about talking and doing. Right. So, like, I don't want to just, like, be like, yeah, it's stuffed. I'm like, no, I'll share a post. I'll go and speak. I'll talk to them. If they need me to pass on any information, I will. I can't physically be in the table talks, right? Right now but obviously like i'm signing the petition i'm sending it out but it's the same way about the whole women in edm thing that everyone's always like women in comedy women in the arts like yeah i am one i'm also like running a label booking them and doing it so i'm just gonna do it and you'll see it you know right instead of having these campaigns about like there are literally campaigns about people who are proactively identifying as women and it's like cool i can tell you're a woman like you right. don't need a hashtag like <laughs> like i just that's and i think that's that's true and i and i think another reason there's a we'll see this is why leaving triple j is such a big thing for me is that unfortunately when you are in the abc you can't be you have to show non-bias. Right. So, like, ultimately, I couldn't say this is fucked. 
And this is why. Like I had it in my farewell thing to say. And another reason is I actually don't enjoy living in Sydney in a scene I'm trying to encourage which doesn't have an audience. You know, like it's like – and the, the PR people are like, let's not go into that yet. Right. Like, you know, yeah, like, you can drop that bomb on Anders' yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, but, but since leaving the Triple J, I've been able to speak about right. it. And, and it, it's just like – and I think to the credit of – ABC finding good people to work, they often find the loudest voices and then you're trying to tie it in to not say anything because you are oh, lied. I, like, know, I, I agree. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's interesting to me, like that thing about the ABC, because particularly while we've been in, doing Gruen and stuff and because we have done shows around the election, I've always been very conscious of like on air. And that's the thing that only thing I promise you is that on air in this television show, I, my performance will be unbiased. If I make a joke about this side, I'll make a joke about the other side, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't mean that I in my life have to live in an yeah, unbiased yeah, yeah. fashion, but it means that my public utterances on behalf of the ABC have to have. But I do sometimes feel like that means that I still in my real life, you know, I try to balance it out probably a bit more than I ordinarily would if left to my own devices. I think you become very diplomatic in a work. Like I think I've, I've got a lot of skills in the scene. I mean like now being working for myself, pushing music out, hiring stuff, like I'm very diplomatic because of having – been in a workplace of roughly 60 or 70 Would people. Would you say you like were diplomatic? <laughs> diplomatic? Nah. I don't have a lot of um, jokes about. <laughs> no, but, like, you yeah. should actually look into Diplo. I'm a big, like, he's someone that I find like horribly controversial, like sometimes just dumb. Like some the person that says something shit about a girl, like he's that person. Right. But he's also the person that really does push regional sounds and has done everything to be where he is right now. Like he might – he just like – there aren't many rock stars in that world and he's one of them. Why is – why do you think that EDM – because like I've been around long enough that like, you know, I live through the sort of the – you know, the dance club, the rave scene yeah, of the yeah, yeah. 90s and stuff. Like, but why now? Why is it so big? Like, why Why is it that it has become so big right now, do you think? What is this wave of it about? I just think everything goes in waves and I feel like this is the wave that right. everyone's on and I do feel like it's slowing down. Like, it really is. The aggressive EDM culture that I don't, I'm part of in a, a broader sense, but I'm like I'm not playing bottle service clubs in America, right. and I'm not playing like the Calvin Harris Vegas slots. Yeah, I definitely know. I mean, that you'd be happy to for the million bucks a day. Yeah, but... like I mean, I would never say no for real. Like, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, there's a certain amount of money where you're like, yeah, I'll come for a day. And, and I've been to Vegas and I've seen how it works. It's literally a day job for these guys. Right. Like, they just go in and out. Go in. They do the job. They leave. Like, and no one. There's no no one's saying anything but. Oh, yeah, they're doing that. Like yeah. no one is having like, this is why Vegas is so – it's literally like, no, no, that's no, no. that's the job. Look. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, well, I mean, look, the money is outrageous. Yeah. And they're doing their job. Yeah. It's fine. I find a few people like in the scene, not remotely, like especially in LA, there are some like people that are just like wildly incredible. Like I find – like I find – I know it's a hard thing to say – but I find Tyler, the creator, really amazing. Okay. because uh, Well, I mean, it's a hard thing to say because of his lyrics and the controversy around his lyrics. When Is that he was what you're 17, saying? yeah. You know, like there's the early shit that he said. I don't, I don't mess with that. Right. But I'd find someone who proactively like looks after his scene, promotes his own show, does festivals, does what he wants, you know, like and he doesn't sell out. I'm not saying he sells out in a sense that he's not going to be on a – 
he's just he's content. I Tell know me. that sounds weird, but no, like. it's interesting to me. Like because what you're saying about because uh, so for, for people who don't know Tyler the creator, there's always every time he wants to tour Australia, there's always a. Uh, uh, controversy around it because of some lyrics. Was yeah, that what it is? Uh, is that what see, the like, gist is? What? Why? Why do people ever? He offended. Like his early work, he just it was like a performance art piece, and he right. and he would like talk about raping, raping and killing and stuff yeah. like that. Right. So here's the thing, and it's, it, this is an interesting topic to me because I like Eminem. Yeah. I I, I won't apologise for that. I like Eminem. I, there's yeah. a bunch of. I went to an Eminem concert once yeah, yeah. with my friend Charlie. We had a fucking great time. Yeah. And I think he's so funny and so skilled as like a like a lyricist. Yeah. Like as a comedian, I just admire the language and the wordplay and the skill. But there is twenty five to thirty percent of the subject matter that I disagree with fiercely, and and I'm always in my head like going. Does that mean that I don't that I shouldn't like Eminem, or is it enough that when that lyric comes up, I go, you know what, that's not what I believe, and that's not what I would. Say. I, I I don't know what the answer yeah. to that question is, but I'm reminded of it like constantly, where I'm like, what is my responsibility here? Because I'm a, certainly not a person who like believes in the homophobia or misogyny or whatever that is you know writ large in some of these lyrics, and not just by the way old stuff in this case like you know on his latest album you know there's there's rhymes on that that you're just like oh wow you know how do you distance like how much of your own or or, or let's take it a step further could you still enjoy the music of somebody who turned out was uh, a sex offender or something like you no know, but Tyler right. Creator isn't a sex no, offender just like, that's said the, the words thing. he just said the words yeah so for you it's that's where it would be right well I find Tyler Creator just <sighs> and an, I guess just a rarity like I wouldn't uh-huh. put him in it like it's just an argument that comes up all the time in Australia because he's constantly banned right and then I see his work and I see what he stands for I have the golf media app I watch his interviews and it's like, man, it sucks that he fucked up when he was a kid because right. so many young people would be inspired by this guy if he just had wiped out that part of his creative process to get to where he is now, you know? Like that's what I feel, that I feel like he's just like someone that a lot of young like people of colour or minorities should look at. And I know he like he does response tracks about it. Like right. we won't like – and often, like, and I guess being in America, and I and I work with like a whole range of different kind of people, and and you kind of understand. I mean, even the Beyonce drop, album dropping, and how there's so much about the Black Lives Matter campaign and all this kind of stuff. It's like, th- like we will never really understand as white privileged people from Australia what some artists have to go through to get to where they are. Uh, the Beyonce thing is interesting to me because. Uh, and I've, I spoke about this on my the previous podcast I had, so I apologize for those who've already heard me say this. But one of the things, uh, there was a list that came out uh, recently about practical ways that if you want to support feminism, that men could support feminism rather than just saying I'm a feminist yeah. and then going patting yourself on the back and you know getting on with your life. In a practical sense, how could you do it? And it was a really good list because they were genuinely practical things. And even someone like myself who you know would like to consider myself at least aware of you know my responsibilities in this in, in this regard there were some things on there that I it never occurred to me and were just really practical tips including consume as much female made art and music as you do male made art and music right 
And I was like, gee, that's good. You know, like, I mean, because there is some people. And so the Beyonce thing really reminded me of it. So I've, I've taped Lemonade. I've got it here on the computer and I'm going to, on the television. Yeah. And at some stage, I'm literally, I'm just going to sit down. That's what I want to do And too, I'm just going to watch it and I'm going to go. Because even if I don't like it, because I'm not a big fan of her music or whatever, but I'm like, well, this is something. Yeah. Like, this is something that I am not going to understand on so many levels. Yeah, like, totally. I, I'm not going to understand like the what it's like to be the woman she's writing about. I'm not going to understand what it's like to be married the, to Jay Z. I mean, that one I could imagine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not going to understand what it's like to be black. I'm not going to understand any of these things. But I can take all that and then go. Well, this is this is obviously more poignant for other groups of society than for me. But sit down and understand it and look at it. Are you a Beyonce fan? Is she someone who yeah. is interesting to you? Yeah, and I definitely will watch it. I haven't, like, I mean, and, you know, we were just talking about the Tyler Eminem thing. Like, we were talking off mic about I watched Purple Rain last night. Right. And, like, Prince hits, like, Aflemia. Like, it's, like, I know. in the scene. Yeah. Like, if that happened now, can you right. imagine the junky articles about how bad? I mean, crazy, right? You know, like, it just it just wouldn't happen now. And we wouldn't support him the way that, like, he's being supported. He was supported at that time because it's just a different time, different era, like all that kind of stuff. And I it find is, that, and also- I, I find it different. But I just, it is just like I, and I find in EDM as well. There's a lot of stuff about misogyny, like often why there's like. There's women in the Calvin Harris clips, like cavorting. Vegas is just babes. Like if you watch a promo video for any club, it's just horrible. Like it's just that. But it's like stop writing about this fucking stuff and like write about the songs that I'm putting out on an all-run female label. You know, like it's just like it just makes no sense to me still. Yeah, no, I do agree with that, that we often get distracted by the – surface level issue and ignore the actual, you know, the iceberg underneath when it comes to these things. I'd never even imagined, although here's the thing, well, here's a great example of privilege. I never even imagined that EDM was a place where women were, because of course, like, why would I think that? But I didn't even think of it because I think of EDM as something that women enjoy so much. The the audience is 50-50. Right. Like it's definitely That that I just never, until you even said that, was kind of... And the other thing is, because I'm not really across that world, funnily enough, I follow you, like, you know, on social media, and I follow um, uh, Alison Wonderland, Wonderland yeah. who I don't know at all, like, yeah. never met her. And I think I probably just started following her through, like, yeah, you yeah. posted something, or like, it, it, definitely she was in the Triple J Hottest 100 and stuff like yeah. that. So I was like, okay, I'll follow her. And she's been on tour around the world. And so I just kind of get these, so I get these two windows into the world of. Yeah, like, two of the very, like, the probably the, like, me and Alex, like, Alison. And Anna, like, it's actually funny. The girls that do go well in the scene, we're not at all cavorting our sexuality at all. Right. And so the funny thing about that is that, like, because that's the small prism I have into that world. Yeah, we all wear big t shirts. It's just like a big, that's a really positive, like, women doing it for themselves. Look at these young women really making their way around the world entertaining. I I don't need no man. Yeah, well, I mean, literally. In Australia, we're fine. Like, because I, like, you know, I ran one of the the dance shows. I like, we have, and in the UK as well, it's like totally different. Just happens to be in America in that kind of bottle service world that still exists, the promoter, like, well, yeah. I mean, that's an old school world in itself. Yeah. Like, which is fill a club with beautiful girls so that uh, guys will come in and, oh, like, and spend heaps happens. of money on blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, that's Vegas. Happens. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, like, the big, the EDC, the biggest festival in the world is in Vegas. You yeah, know, like, right. Miami Ultra is the biggest festival after that, you know? Coachella was different because Coachella had a lot of females, 
like performing and on stage and also there. So it wasn't as excessive. But is, it, is there a difference between the crowd? I imagine there is. What is the difference between the crowd? And oh, like- my God. You just have you have to smoke a joint and walk into like an EDM festival. It is another world. Right. It's like I can't – it's that – Peace, love, you new respect stuff. Plurf. It's like you're in rave world again, but right. it's a new generation of kids. This is the dance stuff. This isn't Coachella. This yeah. is the hard no, festivals no, I, that I EDC. Yeah. They go nuts. It's actually quite amazing, but it's just another world. And also, it's actually really – they're super sweet kids too. They're just like – I just can't fathom ever doing that for a dance. Event. Like it's just like so weird to me that he, here – like and it, there's something pretty amazing because like big girls like you know all multiples of si- sizes literally just wearing swimmers right. with their asses chapped out like it's just like wow like everyone is going in like bums everywhere you know and something's kind of cool about the fact that if you go to an Australian festival it's only the skinny girls that wear that kind of stuff right. here it's like nope we're all out like yeah. and and there's something cool and headpieces it's like on a Mardi Gras like it's just. It's all rave. Yeah, that sounds – I mean, that is – like, that does remind me of those times where, like, you know, you'd get dressed up in something stupid that flashed. And, yeah, yeah. It's you know. all flashing. It's all candies and, like, yeah. you know, it's all that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> That's old school. Yeah. I, I, I probably would quite enjoy that. It's, it, I did this thing called Holy Ship, which is where, where they – at the start of the year where, you know, 40 different acts go on a, on a ship for uh-huh. four days and you are surrounded by 5,000 kids the whole time. So you play different times but you see them everywhere. And I had this moment – and I was just like, all these kids are dorks, like like right. in a cool way. Yeah. But I was just like, no one actually cool would have saved up all their money to go on, to a, go on a DJ boat. boat. You so know, like, like – literally yeah, sounds yeah, like, like my worst nightmare. Yeah, like, like I can't get no away from these actually, fucking DJs. Yeah, like no one actually cool. And I was just like, they're all sweet. And I'm like, right. why am I trying so hard to be like cool when the truth is like these fans, like I just – Nerds, oh, well, you know, that, I mean, like, but that's the truth about um, anything other than like there are, you know, 20 really genuinely cool people in the entire world. Yeah. And like maybe only half of them are in show business because most of the people in show business are not cool at all. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, this idea that in somehow that, I mean, I love that old school mystique and rock, like, you know, particularly in rock and roll. Yeah. There's nothing better than, you know, somebody not being on social media or not like blah, blah, blah. But but it's for the rare exceptions, you know. Like I, Prince was cool, you know. Like that's why I think a lot of people are really sad about this because he was so like no – no exceptions, no no conforming. And there was some really nice stuff about he did make bad decisions too, but right. no one ever, ever said he wasn't cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like no one has ever said he literally was one of the coolest guys in the world. Like, well, the thing about him is he always ran his own race. Yeah. And like, you know, you look at the – I was looking at like just the collection of his outfits. Like, yeah. And I was just like, geez, you nailed this. Yeah. Like for someone who was constantly wearing weird stuff – None of this stuff looks weird. Yeah. It all just looks like you always knew exactly what you wanted to look like, exactly what you wanted to present. Like I went and saw him uh, here in LA when they did the forum. He did 20, 20 shows, shows in a row. Yeah. And 20 shows for $20. Like so every ticket was $20 when they first went on sale. Yeah, yeah. Not by the time it got to me. Uh, but anyway, I, I went to it and I went by myself which is a great way to go to a concert actually. Like, you know, if the person is great because there is something about – it doesn't happen as much, I don't think, 
you know, like movies and concerts are things that tend, people tend to go to together. But it's such a different experience going by yourself and really understanding what it is you think of a night without any external influence to that. Oh, I mean, I just was at Coachella with 600 people at a time and I was just like, oh, I would love to just wander around by myself. I get it. So I, um, so I went there and the, thing, the first thing that I realized was because in Australia, because A, what you said about like, you know, Beyonce and like, you know, not, us not having that understanding of, you know, that idea of like, you know, uh, you know African-American or, you know, sort of black otherness. Um, but I didn't even get that Prince was a black artist. Yeah. Because to Australians, Prince was an everyone artist. Yeah. And to Americans as well, Prince was an everyone artist. But you forget because he was black that he was – like he's when I went to the forum, it would have been like eighteen thousand black people. Yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, of course. Like, yeah. but again, he was other. Like he was Prince. Yeah, you know, there's nothing much like him. But anyway, the the concert itself was amazing. Two and a half hours in the round, right? And so he's got this stage set up. He's got a piano on one stage. He had different bits you know, all over the place. So the the start of it was still the, my favorite start of anything that I've ever seen in my entire life. So uh, Mary J. Blige, she, she did support, and then they have a breakdown, and then they start playing on the big Megatron, you know, big screens at the forum. Um, James Brown footage or James Brown like playing and stuff, and I was like, I didn't know at the time. It turns out a bunch of his band members were also in James yeah. Brown's band, but I didn't know this. All I'm just watching out of context is him playing James Brown videos of James Brown in concert, and I'm like. Man, this is like me playing like a Louis C.K. DVD just yeah. before I come out on stage. This is like a big yeah. – do you know what I mean? And so then the final thing is James Brown is being interviewed like backstage and uh, uh, James Brown says this like in camera and he goes, uh, people always ask me, why don't you play the best of James Brown? And I said, because the best of James Brown is yet to come. And then the lights go out and Prince just <laughs> rises out from the stage. It was one of the fucking coolest things right? I like, have ever seen in my entire life. Well, it was, I was like, it's so amazing because like I'm trying really hard with my record label that I started to be an alternative, to be, to be cool. But like you find yourself having to do stuff that's not cool to promote it. Right. But then you kind of just have to own it. You just have to be like, I have to sell records and I have to remind people and I have to post it and I have to do all this stuff. I mean, that's an interesting thing, what you've just said then, because I plug my stuff a lot, like on this podcast, online, whatever. Yeah. And sometimes people have a problem with that. And my 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 first thing is like, well, A, I'm, pr- I'm, I'm more proud of the thing that I have created than my pride in whether you think I'm plugging this yeah, too much or totally. not. Yeah, totally. Like I'm, I spent ages making this thing. Yeah. And I think it's great. Yeah. And and I think you will enjoy it. Here yeah. it is. Like, I mean, I, sometimes you've got to do – I mean, fuck. Uh, like, when I was doing the Opera House in Sydney the other week, like, I went on the Today Show. Yeah. Because like. I had some tickets left to sell and I really fucking loved that show and I wanted people to see yeah. it. You know? And so. the only people that know that you need to plug those tickets are probably the 20 people that work on your show. Right. And, like <laughs> – and then like maybe five or six other people that have been in a similar position, which is like, fuck, selling tickets at the opera house. So like 1% of Australia has, no, 
one percent of the world has even been to that place, <laughs> right. and you like, who cares? You know, like, and then the reality is, you might meet someone. They'll be like, oh, you were at the opera house, right? You know, like no one. Oh, there's no. so much going on right now that, like, well, forever. Like, I mean, okay, so I haven't asked you um, uh, so far what your philosophy is, and I'm going to ask you that, but I'm just going to have a little pause because we're 45 in, <laughs> so we're probably about halfway. So we can come back fresh and ask about the philosophy and talk about all these other things I want to. But I'm going to need a bathroom break before the end. So let's have a pause. Oh, yeah. And we're back. See, for them, that just just took a second. But for me, it took a little bit longer than that. Um, I haven't asked you whether you have philosophy yet. And, you know, it's it's kind of the point of the podcast. It's not really, let's be honest. But I, I like to ask people, do you have one? Yeah, I have like I have multiple, but I think yeah. I haven't worked out why how they work together. But my first one really, and I kind of find it saying that I believe that if you work really hard and you're genuinely talented, it will happen for you. And I feel like that that you just have to actually work harder than you ever thought to actually make it work if the talent isn't there. So I feel like that kind of like I just don't know anyone that has failed without when they if they've put in a hundred percent. Well, the one thing I would say about that that I think is true is that there are so many people trying now in whatever it is that you want to do in your life that you can't get by on talent alone anymore. No. There was a time in our world where you could get by on talent alone. Yeah. But in almost every industry now because of the nature of these industries, it's not enough anymore. Everybody – so if you are very talented – you're only as talented as someone who is okay talented who's working really hard. Yeah. So if you're not working at all, like, you know, you, you, I mean, it's it's the one constant that comes up with everybody is how hard work is and how you will constantly have to keep working. But the thing that's in what you were talking about is I, I don't necessarily agree with you 100% with what you've just said um, in that idea that I have seen people work very hard who are incredibly talented who have not got what they deserved or what they hoped that they might get. Yeah. I think though, I I agree. It's hard. Like that's what I said. Like I've said it. That's come out of my mouth more than most things. That I when you'll be with someone that hasn't quite made it to a point or what they want. I also think that with that in mind, work involves a million things. Right. Like work doesn't involve actual work. Work involves like thought and consideration and influence and – and understanding and delegating and like all these things that can make your path easier. So if you nail that, then I think you're good. Right. But I feel like like if someone sits at home and writes a song a million times over and it's perfect but then sits on it and waits for the person, that's not work to me. Like you know that I mean? Like it's like there's that little bit of hustle involved as well and like it's very rare that pure greatness gets through like without – someone helping well it's a, it's a massive combination of yeah. all those factors isn't it i mean that's the thing like if if art were to be fair yeah they would just find the 10 best singers yeah and they would match them up with the 10 best songwriters and then they would get the 10 best musicians yeah and they would be the musicians yeah but that's not how it works well, and also because i love shit stuff too so like if we did that we'd rule out of all the stuff that's horrible that i have pleasure in if that makes sense no i mean like the the idea that you can enjoy something in a way that the creator of that thing did not intend exactly. you to enjoy yeah, it yeah. is one of the great things about I know. art. Yeah, like it's really good. I think that like another like philosophy, I think I don't really, although I may seemed planned, I'm not really. Okay. I'm like I, I am very much so in month to month, but like I just go with what 
ever has thrown with me, thrown at me, and then I just keep at it. Okay, so what? How, what do you mean by that? Give me an example. I don't have a five year plan. Uh-huh. Like I don't have a ten year plan. Like I don't have anything. I never have. I never thought I would be on the radio. I never thought I'd be running a label. I never thought anything like that. And I think something in me changed a little bit when I was a kid to be an underwhelmer. And it doesn't mean that I'm not excited I just like you know you know before something exciting when you're at school you just couldn't sleep like you could you got so excited and then the next day you'd, you things like just get hyped up in your head and then it's not as good as what you hoped and I just hate that feeling more than ever so my successes are just so much smaller now no so it's like I mean I understand that because I nothing is ever good as good as you're building it up to yeah. be like nothing is. Nothing's going to solve all your problems or yeah. make your life great forevermore. No. Nothing is and then you lived happily ever after. Yeah. But the second thing, I mean, I always think this in relation to comedy because yeah. like if you say to somebody, this is the funniest joke, already now it's not going to be. No. Because you've raised their expectations too high. Peter Hallier used to be introduced on stage. It's my favourite. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please turn off your mobile phones and lower your expectations. Yeah. It's Peter Hallier. And I'm like, because of course, that's what you want. And then you'll, you know, hopefully it'll be better than you expect. And also like the journey is more fun. Like right. if, you, if you expect the most straight away and you're just not going to get it. Like, like, and I feel like I'm trying to push that philosophy to a lot of artists that I'm working with now. It's just like, then especially in Australia where Triple J is a big player, it's like, you know, if we don't get playlists, that's fine because I'll list you 40 acts that have never been played on Triple J that are fine. You know, like it's like reminding them what you want, maybe 10,000 plays on Spotify. If we get that, we want 20,000. Like we just keep going little by little. So then you don't get head fucked because that's the nature of this world now when you, I think it's even Tony Robbins, that concept of like you can affect what you make, what you influence, but not what you concern. It's like something really like very typically like. But but I, I agree with you. Like, I mean, the nature of like the process being the only thing that you can concern yourself with is at the end of the day, like it's just true. Yeah. But the what you more broadly stumbled upon, which I think is a great insight that I hadn't quite considered in that way, is this idea that it's all the work. Yeah. You know, so like, yeah, people always, when they say like, oh, stand-up comedies. By the way, the reason I always bring it back to my experience is just because it's the easiest way for me to talk about this. No, you but know? it's funny you say that because I saw Tigger once tweet about funny people, the Louis C.K., like Chris Rock and that that – debrief talk uh-huh. the two-hour special were they oh, yeah, is it yeah. talking funny or yeah and, and tigger the canadian dj like wrote you can put this on every field of creativity like it makes i get it like i know why you say it because for me there's so many ways to to make the philosophies work for every industry really right so in uh comedy like the the thing that I was oh sorry now I've lost my train of thought. What was I that? fucked you. No, no, sorry, that's fine. No, I know. I knew, I knew exactly what I wanted to say, which was uh, fuck. comedy work. I was saying. About oh, it. it's all the work. Yeah. So the pe- the thing that people think about stand up comedy is that like they say, oh, stand up comedy is hard, but what they're really talking about is the bit on stage. Mm. What in, in their mind that's what stand up comedians do because that's the bit of it they're consuming. Stand up comedy is hard, but not that bit of it. 
No. That bit's actually the easiest bit. Yeah. Because if you've done all the other work, if you prepared properly for that moment when you walk on stage, then that's actually the joy of yeah. the job. So the bit that they think's hard isn't the job. The bit that's hard is getting up in the morning and making yourself work because you don't have an office. You could just, yeah. you know, smoke pot and go to the movies yeah. if you wanted to, like, you know, consuming things, having ideas, you know, trying to come up with all that's the work of it, you know. It's interesting. So tell me about uh, – I was like, did you have another one or was that you that, – That's kind of it. Like okay, I think cool. it's just like those small successes. I feel like I just find I, like everyone gets caught up, especially being on social media, like of course you care about likes and shit like that. Yeah. And like it's really hard not to but if you are strong enough and proud enough, it just – no one's ever going to say to me about Coachella which was a really amazing experience. Oh, I remember that Instagram post you made. They're going to say, remember when you play Coachella? So it's just like, you know, like just having strength and being proud of your work, whatever stage it is, is the most important thing because you have to, there has to be a point. And I keep telling this to a few people that I'm like, I'm 31. Like I don't want to be in nightclubs forever. I want to be in the world forever, but I don't, if, if someone said you can't DJ anymore, any, for whatever reason, I'm going to be okay with it because like I've had a great career and I think that you've got to keep putting it in perspective, I get paid to play music right. for an hour. Like that is probably like, you know, that whole like no days off vibe. Like I don't think of any days as on really. Like like it's all off for me. Like it's like it's all fun, you know. And the, the shit that gets you down is the stuff that you have to get through to get to the fun point. Okay. So now talk to me about how that translates into – because like you were in a structure. Yeah. And then you have to start creating those own structures yourself. So talk to me about that process, how that happened. That, that and actually how. was the hardest thing. Yeah. Like like the – so my – my boyfriend is a musician too and he can wake up at any time and when he feels like working, he works and sometimes he won't go to sleep till six and I've never been like that. I am I am like – I might not have a long-term plan but I follow a Google calendar like there's no tomorrow. Right. Like I am just like – I my brain compartmentalizes and that's how I work. And I know that for 10 years. What happened when I left Triple J was when I did a big tour and then I came home and I was like, I got all this stuff to do but like, I just couldn't do it for right. a second and I think I was allowed to have a break because I'd worked nonstop since I was 18. Which, which is also like sometimes people forget that. Yeah. Like the, the, the break can be the important thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And also when you tour, that's still work. So I was like, yeah. I know, but you don't think about it. You can't, like I didn't think of myself as being on tour. Right. I you thought don't, of myself you, as being on holiday for six yeah. weeks playing some shows. But yeah, but you don't think, I mean, well, that's I, when I came over here, I'd just done eight weeks on the road, you know, a show every night. And a lot of that's fun. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're at festivals and stuff. It's but it's also eight nights of working yeah. every single night yeah like and um and I think that that was a big thing so I started and because I was I wanted to write more music I started getting guilty about the fact that I couldn't I couldn't split my time up so I was like I'd be in the middle of a session or writing something and then an email come through and I'd stop everything to finish that and I was just like this is not working like right. I'm just doing everything at once so now the the structure for my work is it's a it's a like a record label day where I'm responding to emails I've hired someone else to help with certain stuff and and then music session days I treat it as that like that's the day I do this and that's how I do I do that the day I do that I also have to realize I can't do everything at once like I've just put out an EP I'm not going to be able to write another one until the end of the year like to finish 
to the end of the year. So instead of rushing these processes, I have to start realizing that like things take time. I'm getting better as a producer. You know, I can ask for help, all this stuff. Because I had radio down, like right. I was down. So it's just like... <clears throat> That was the big shift. I mean, that's hard. That's a hard thing for people. Like, and I think it's the reason that a lot of people don't change is the fear of having to start again. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've been through that process to a certain extent, just coming over here, you know, yeah, like yeah. is that process of like, you know, legitimately in some oh, ways. Oh, I'm definitely starting again. And like, it's hard. And, like starting and, again is hard. And, and also because I have this reputation for something else, then right. I start putting music out and people aren't jumping to that because they've never known me as that but it's like no no this is the focus now like and and just it's just taking a little more time and even with triple j too i'd just be like when i was there if a girl put out a record who was also like pushing electronic music and running her own label that would be like even if i fucking produced a fart on a track we'd have her in for an interview because they try to keep it balanced mate they try to hire you yeah you know to be the replacement you i know and it's like (laughs) and so i just feel like why isn't anyone who's this new nina las vegas she sounds perfect for us and it's like and so for a while i had to just realize oh wow richard's opinion really matters like Um, for ages i was always like but, but you know what the other thing about that is i think that that place has and it's the like i love it I'd go back there once a week to do a guest spot yeah, on something yeah, yeah. If, if they'd have me, if, they, if somebody wanted me. And the thing that I always find really confusing is on pretty much every other radio station in Australia, that is the case. Like literally yeah. like everyone wants me to come in and do the show, right? Triple J, it's hard to get back through the doors. I it's know. such a weird thing. Like after all the time I spent there and the affection I have for it, it's the one place where like, yeah, maybe they'll have you in once a year. Like, And what I mean by that is not like, oh, they should have me back, but – if I were the host of Gruen, who had no association with Triple J and hosted like the number one show on the ABC, they would have me in every week to do something about Gruen. But because I used to work there. And maybe it's just the way we think about it because we know that int- maybe if someone from the outside perspective, they'd be like, no, that's never the case. But right. I feel like it is like a breakup when you break up with someone. Yeah. And I don't think they do it on purpose. No, by no, the way. no, neither. And I just, but I think I was they're just like, all awkward around the X. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And I, I left something there. They can't be objective about it because, you know what, they've seen you in your underpants. And I, know, like, I was like, I had to pick up something and I texted Dom who I used to sit next to and I was like, yep. can you bring it down? He's like, do you want to come up? I was like, nah. <laughs> like I was just like, it's too early. Like, just too soon. I don't want to go in yet. Yeah. And also I just like, I, I spent so much of my life there that it's like I just kind of need a break as well from it. And yeah, it was, well, but what people forget is also that at the end of the day, like Triple J is probably one of the better office jobs you'll ever have. Yeah. But any one of those things is an office job. Exactly. And, and I think that's a lot of – even I've got a few friends that are around the same age too that are trying to like move on from being in the club and doing different parts of the scene and like getting quite upset about having to like – to leave that – kind of limelight and it's like it's fine like everyone's allowed to change you know like and like I the amount of times I was like Triple J was me I grew up in that station Chris Gadden developed me you know like he was a big part of who I became and it's like of course I cried a million tears thinking I was leaving a job and listeners and stuff but once you do it you guys that's just life. And like right. I'm not meant to be there my whole life. Well, you're not meant to be there your whole yeah. life. Yeah, and I don't know how people still are. Like I sometimes now like a little bit like, wow, don't you know you can travel whenever you want when you don't have a job? <laughs> uh, I mean, there was even a bit of me, and this is not directed at anyone personally, but my thing when I was there was always like, 
there should be a very compelling reason for you to be in this building if you're over the age of 30. Yeah. Like, and that was always my attitude. It was like, I had five of the best years of my entire life there. Like, but when I left, my attitude was like, well, now it should be somebody else's turn to have five of the best years of their life there or whatever, you know, like, and that's not to say that, but it's such a good place that people probably outstay what would be perfectly good for the station. Well, and also what you know, being in Australian media, media there isn't much to get. Where do you go to? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I get why people stay. Yeah. Like I was lucky enough that I had something else. Yeah. You know, I had my other thing, but, but yeah, no, I get it. Oh my God. Like if I hadn't of, and you're working at this awesome place, like why would, it's a great place for music. It's a great place to meet people, you know. Label to feel like a place to go. So when the management were like, well, why would you want to leave? Like, and I, I just looked at them and like one of my bosses is my age. And I was just like, you're like, my age, a male in a career, like I, I was really upset. I was just like, it's like, why? Like just questioning. It wasn't a bad right. conversation. I was like, you have a managerial job with people around you built up to work out how you can go to the next place. Right. You can ask someone what happens here. You can see the pay rises. I've made my show. I've literally given them content. I've literally developed two shows and CDs and tours. Uh, who am I meant to ask? Right. And he was kind of a bit stunned. I was like, because, like, I don't know. So I have to ask myself and I I want to work out. And if I regret it, I just regret it. But I don't, luckily. But at that time, it was that real thing. I was like, there's literally no one like me. So, like, how can I ask that person? What did you do at, like, the time when you started to feel that? I did speak to a few people within the organization and, and it was actually quite funny. Like, like, one of the upper management was just like, you know, this is, happens – when you just know it's over. Like these thoughts I had, they were just like, there just becomes a point when it's done. You're done. You're done. And it's like, okay. And it was really calming because I was like, no, but I could work out a way. And they, were, and they yeah. were just like, you know, it's done. Like, I mean, Mark Scott just left after 10 years too. I'm sure he feels the same way. I mean, he can't go on anymore. I don't know how that works, but it's like, I'm sure he's just like, it's done. Right. <laughs> you know? And it's like, it was probably the best boss I ever had in terms of upper management, but it's like these feelings, it happens to everyone. And when I left and I saw he left, I was like, not that we're at all similar. But no, I, was just like, I mean, two people who've been at the organization for a similar period yeah. of time, like, I mean, all part of the organization. Weirdly enough, this, this is an interesting thing because I think Mark Scott did a pretty good job as boss of the ABC yeah. as well. Never met him. Oh, never met him, never spoke to un- him. He unfollowed me on Twitter <laughs> like about five years ago. And I retweet, I tweeted him like three years ago yeah. saying, like, hey, what, you follow back or something? I just didn't, right. I've never met him in real life. And then when I left, he sent me a really beautiful DM. This is so funny that my manager, the, the CEO of the ABC, yeah. DMs me on my final day saying, I was talking to Annie Chesterman and I think you're the f- most famous person I've ever going to have met. And like, I was like something really like along the lines of that. And uh-huh. it was like, I think you could be one of the most famous people I've ever met. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking in my head, yeah, but you never met me. Like, I was <laughs> <laughs> Technically. I wrote Technically, back, I wrote back saying, yeah, thank, I just yeah. wrote back, thanks, Scotty. Want a Coachella ticket? That's all. <laughs> 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 and, no, and he's been, I can see him follow, like when I posted a picture from Coachella, he followed and tagged. No, he's a like, like pretty cool dude. But yeah, it was one of those things where it's just like everything can end and it's okay. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> lesson. I like I like that because it is. I mean, 
it's one of those things where I'm at a point in my life where it look, you know, I imagine that some of the things I've been working on will, you know, start to finish up. Yeah. You know, it's closer to the end than it was to the start. And uh, it's been a while since I've had to kind of, yeah. you know, live in that world where – because what happens is like there have been things that have come and gone over the years, but you actually have to have something for long enough that you miss it when it's gone. Yeah. So there's only rare in your life, like at the end of the triple day, at the end of glass house and, you know, at the end of the grill. And there always, there'll be a point where I'm like, Oh, like this was a big part of my life and I yeah. really enjoyed doing it, but it's done now, you know? Um, and, and I like that feeling, you know, how people say life is short. Actually, this is another one of philosophies. Like I like that. I like hearing life is short, but I also like thinking that life is really long. Like, yeah. like I, yeah, it's – but, you know, I didn't do what I went to uni for. I didn't – I've changed my career again and I still feel like I've got 60 years left of my – you know, like hopefully, like that that I have so much more time, you know, and I hate that rush, like in that urgency and like – and I like thinking that it's long sometimes. Oh, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Like, yeah. I mean, part of the reason that I was lucky enough that – um I don't think I was very good at my job when I first started and it's taken me a long time to, you know, to get better at it. But I was lucky enough that I got some opportunities regardless of that, I think. But um, uh, maybe based on more on potential than, you know, actual sort of what I was doing. And But the thing that I've always enjoyed about the fact that I was – I wished back in the day. I always wished that I was just that naturally talented, wonderful, everybody thought they were great the minute they saw them person. But I'm, I'm not. And the thing that I've appreciated as I've got older is – you, you've got something to get better at next year. Yeah. Like, you know, I've been doing stand-up at the festival for 20 years. Tw- like 20 years I've taken a show to that festival. And I think that for the last seven or eight years, they've all at least been better than the year before. And I like that. And yeah. I like that at the end of this year's show, which was the best thing I've ever done, I like that there were still like three or four things that I was like, well, I could have done that better and I could have done this better. And I'm like, that would have in the old days dr- driven me crazy. Yeah. But now I'm just like, well, great. Well, I mean, I had to do something next year. I, I guess ha- I'll be working on that. <laughs> you know, like- I had this show, like a run of shows, and Melbourne, for some, whatever reason, Melbourne is not a good spot for dance music right now. Really? Yeah, they have um, this sound called Melbourne Bounce, which is pretty much just commercial house music. And also they don't really have medium-sized clubs that I would play. Okay. They kind of have the really small ones yep. for techno and like kind mm-hmm. of old man German stuff. And then um, – but what I play is true, though. Be, and then, be, be careful when you Google old man German stuff, though. You might find some stuff on not the internet. DJs, but, yeah. Like, but yeah, put in DJs. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then I was actually like, like with like with my current boyfriend, we were playing, and I was like, and then it was shit. And he turns to me, he's like, "Oh well, one of them's got to be the shit one." And right. it's like, <laughs> yeah, like actually, you can't. They all have to kind of rank, right. and if one's shit. That's cool. Okay, sweet. I'm done. I got a shit one. Like it's just like – and it's that idea of like, yeah, like I did fuck up and I'm going to do it better. I kind of even imagine a whole run being amazing. Something will be wrong in a little way. Like and even if it's just you're not feeling it, you know, like and it's like could be a great show but you could just be tired. Well, I mean I think that's the thing that you were before when you were talking about experience. Yeah. Is that that's what you miss if you just go straight to the, you know, the, that level out of your bedroom up to a big level is you miss 
the experience. Yeah, yeah. Like people can tell you a million times on a pod, uh, on a comedy podcast that every comedian in the world has died the worst death and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But until you experience it, you never truly know, oh, yeah, okay, that's what happens. Oh, yeah, you have that night where it just yeah. for whatever reason it doesn't work. I, had, or I you played ha- in Berlin last year and no, no. started last year no. and it was like six people came. It was like me and three others. And I said to the guy when I got to that, when he picked us up, really weird promoter, massive club. Um, but it was winter. And I was like, so do you sh- parties on Wednesday? Right. And he's like, no. I'm like, oh, it's not a good sign. Yeah, I go on the Facebook group and there's no one invited on the Facebook. I'm like, did you promote it? He's like, we don't have to. It's Berlin. I'm like, but you don't do parties on Wednesdays. Like I'm in right. my house, like I'm freaking out. I'm like, no one is going to come. And no one did come. Right. I didn't even play. There wasn't <laughs> enough people. Like I just was like, I'm not playing. And the guy turned to me and he's like, I don't know what happened. And I was like, yeah, it's a real shame. You got three really good DJs. Like I just was like not caring. I was right. like, still get paid. Great hotel, like continental breakfast. Yeah. Like no one saw it. So no one cares. Like no, I don't that's, care. a, that's almost your perfect result. Yeah, yeah. And then I still haven't played <laughs> Berlin because I never touched the decks. And then um, the next day I happened to go to London and we played a really good show, this tour I was on. This is the start of last year. And then I – um and, I, and Forte came. I'm friends with him. And I was like – he's like, how was Berlin? I was like, oh, it sucked. And he's like – I once played Berlin to nobody. Oh, to nobody. Like, not even one person walked in. It was just the bar staff and him. And I turned to the other guys on the tour. I was like, if school guys Fortet played to nobody, we at least got six people to come to. I mean, that's. I'm just like, if Fortet's playing to nobody, right. I'm all right. Um, what is the trick to social media, like in the way that you use it? Because I'm pretty interested in the way that you use social media. I mean, even the fact that you immediately know to go to the Facebook page and see if anyone's invited. Like you seem to have an understanding of. Yeah. I think like in America, it's a lot more giving. I don't know if you find it too, but like kids here interact so much more. You can play a set and they'll tweet you midway through the set love this song you know it's like they're just so much more oversharing than right. Australian kids Australian kids will come and dance and love it but they'll just say that it's yeah she was pretty good like they won't actually reach out to me right and say and also because I actually think my triple j um connection makes them feel like I'm like a friend or something Mm -hmm. like I'm not an act in some way I'm kind of like oh yeah Nina you know like it's kind of no 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 I mean I agree yeah like it's like uh, the MC in comedy rooms people often think they come with the venue yeah and it's like like, you were good and the the comedians were good too the person's like well I'm you know I'm one of the comedians right you (laughs) know how I was telling jokes and you were laughing (laughs) and even when I posted the Coachella thing like the comments like it's very nice but like oh it's been great watching you grow and it's like you know it's so funny that Triple J can bring that kind of like fandom a oh, little there's bit. An, there's an ownership sense because yeah. it's, because people, the taxpayer pays for the ABC, for good and for ill, that means that people think they have a an ownership yeah. and an investment. And in many ways that's really good. So, But that's interesting to me, that transition from in an audience sense, and I can get that, like the audience knowing you as this one person, uh, at least you're in the same world and you've obviously been doing it, but I can't. Yeah, and I feel really authentic right. about it. Like I don't feel like I'm suddenly going, I'm going to be a pop star. Like it's like, right. no, 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 I was doing this the whole time. Like it just, this is the priority now. Uh-huh. Like I don't feel bad about being this person, but I do find social media, especially with Instagram and like the reality is people like selfies more. And it's like, that doesn't do me any favors. It might get me likes, it might get me followers, but if I don't look like a music person, 
never, no one's going to believe I'm a music person. Right. So if I don't post songs up, if I don't post flyers, if I don't post that shit that doesn't get likes, which is just the law of it, no one really cares about that stuff, it's not going to look like me. So, like, why would you follow me? You know, and, and then that's why I've started to realize that, like, you can look at Alison Wonderland's um, Instagram. It's amazing, but it's all pictures of her. Right. You know, and it's like it's all photographers following her around and getting amazing photos. Right. I'm not making that money to do that. And I'm also like not going to do that. Like I even look at it and like, yep, looks pretty balanced. We've got the odd selfie here and then like family, friends. Like I still want to look like I have a life. Right. And that's how people got to know me is like someone they heard on the radio who had a life, not just a act if that makes sense well what about work-life balance because when you you said that you, you know, your boyfriend's a musician yeah. and like you've started your own label now which means that like you know work never really no it leaves never you. really stops and i mean when you're an artist it never really leaves you anyway anyway but you've got all that going on how do you balance you know your non-work life well i don't really chill like <laughs> i'm not a chiller uh-huh like I fill up every space with a lunch or something. I'm still incredibly social. So I will like, you know, I like, I need to relax a bit more and work and actually relax. But at the same time, that's how I relax. Okay. So my work-life balance is pretty, I mean, you know, a few of my friends, like I make an effort with friends more than most people that like, I make more effort with friends that just have a day job and go to bed after that you know like and it's like but I'm not going to change that I've been that way my whole life like I've always been social I've always been yeah so where does that come from the social like were you a like a social kid yeah yeah I was but I wasn't necessarily in like cool groups I was just friends with everybody right so like um yeah and I like I like when my friends I've kind of my friendship groups have gotten smaller as you, you grow up, you get closer and you know, but you know, I still, I still like get Coachella. I had friends that are nothing to do with music. And as some of my team were like, well, we're going to go backstage. I'm like, that's cool. I'm going like, I have to hang with my friends. Like, right. it's just like, that's more important to me now. Maybe five years ago, I would have ditched them and gone backstage. But now I'm like, I doesn't make like, it's almost like it doesn't feel real if I'm backstage anymore, because ultimately I want my work and my, stuff to come out to be why people think I'm cool you know like and even having Prince pass away on Friday you kind of like me and my crew were like would Skrillex go to this would like Skrillex held a mansion party and it's like yeah Prince would have probably gone but he would have walked in and left you know like you know like (laughs) and so I went but I was just like uh and that's the weird thing about the world I'm in they all flex like everyone just flexes their money right Calvin Harris has a big party because he's a billionaire like these are really rich people in this world they'll have house parties at the end of there was a Sunday night Calvin Harris the weekend did one last week and it's like it's all this big flex move and it's cool to go if you're working and you feel good but the hang I just don't get that like my social life is is my friends and I'm lucky to do music with my friends so I'm kind of like lucky to do both but I also when I'm not doing a show I definitely try to do other things and I have like ultimately music is my my biggest love but like I like soccer and I like, you know, like I like other things too. And I'm proud of that. 
Uh, okay, we, we should finish up soonish. You want to go another a, four hours? There's a couple. No, yeah, another four hours. Come on, it's only been an hour and fifteen oh, minutes. Okay. It's fine. We got we got a little bit more time. Um, I, I want to ask you just a couple of questions because these are the ones that come up, you know, all the time on the podcast. Um, so, uh, what do you think life's about? Do you have a religion, or do you have a belief, or like a spirituality, or like a you know a broader rather than just your own individual life? Do you have a broader thought about like why we're here or what the purpose I, of our lives is? I definitely think that like like you, you know my sister, my sister's in the industry as well. Like yeah. we're close, but we're all really supportive. Like, and I feel like family is the ultimately the most important thing for me. So. You know, I had my family here at Coachella and they all came and it was great. I want to be happy. I don't really like I, – I don't want regrets. That's how I live my life. We were raised Catholic and spirituality and it was a big part of our childhood because my grandma immigrated here and then her my grandfather died suddenly and all she had was the church. So a lot of the times she thanked God for a lot of things that happened right. to us. You know, like so it's like – and I like knowing that that's what got her through the last like 50 years of her life without her husband, you know? And it's like, I feel like that that's important for me. And I, life is about like, I don't want to miss anything. Like I'm not, I'm not a narcissist. Like I don't need to be everywhere, but I just want to be making the most of the moments that I'm in. Like I want the stories. I want everything. So I feel like I live my life a little bit like, I'm just like. Is it? Do you not want to close your eyes? Do you not want to fall asleep? Yeah, I don't sleep at all, like at all. Because <laughs> you don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but it does feel like that a little bit. Like it feels like that. I mean, and I get that. Like, I mean, to me, like you know, the thing is always like I, I'd like to try things like you know this idea of like living a life where I was like oh yeah that th- sounds like fun I'd like to go to that thing yeah, I'd yeah. like to go and you know like as an artist like you know if there is a place where it would be harder for me or where or, like or the, all the art is that I li- like I want to go there and do it there I want to go to the Edinburgh Festival and I want to hand out flyers and I want to do a month of shows there yeah. and cry in the rain when nobody comes yeah. I want to do these things regardless of whether they're going to be easy or hard but that Coachella thing must have felt like I mean to have your friends and family there and to have such a I mean because I know there's a myriad of things that need to happen or that will happen along the way good and bad you know that will be easy and challenging about what you've but to have something that you could celebrate with so close and so soon and so it must have been a very it was cool I mean but then as soon as I finish and everyone wants to talk to me I'm just like oh fuck off like you know that feeling where you're just like straight away I'm exhausted I've been on the whole time I just want to be by myself after yeah it's just like it's just that come down afterwards of just like and and everyone oh like half an hour yeah and then like everyone wants to talk to you and they all they're there for you they don't really know what to do and I'm like please go you guys go eat you guys do like I was just like directing people I'll meet you after I take my clothes off and like you know chill and then go so that was kind of cool it made me realize that like I couldn't I honestly have so many moments in my life where I'm just celebrating something you know whether it be like a house party tour or like 
a birthday party or something like I don't mind the center of attention but then those moments make you realize that like a wedding would be hell like right. like I just don't understand well it's hard to enjoy your own wedding yeah yeah I mean th- that that is absolutely right it's one of those things where it's funny enough I got a little message from a, a young girl from well not young but like a younger lady from uh, Brisbane who had run into me on my way to one of my shows and I was sick at the time. And she actually wrote this in her thing, but she was like, oh, you were a little like, you know, dismissive. And which is not something like ordinarily if I'm out in public, I'll try if somebody says yeah. hello or whatever, like, you know, I'll try to take the time. And I wrote back to her and I said, you know what? The truth of it is that like the 15 minutes before the show, that's why I go in the back. Yeah. That's why I don't, that's why I don't want anyone to see me because for me, those 15 minutes, I can just be so in my own head or so yeah, distracted yeah. or I can have a conversation with you for 15 minutes and not take in – and it's not that I don't care about what you're saying or it's not that I don't care that like this person in the streets, I'm just not there at yeah. that time. And afterwards, like I used to do like signings and stuff where people would be like, hey, can I meet you after? And I said, oh, you don't want to meet me after. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the me that you wanted to meet. That guy's gone now. I know that what, guy's gone home until tomorrow. The me so, after is tired. I and just sweaty. can't do that. Like, <laughs> I'd love to be the person that can hang out afterwards on right. the stage, but the older I get, I'm just like, nah. Like, I just gave you everything. I can't go out and take photos and do all that stuff. Which but a it's lot what, of but it's do. what you're saying there, and that's the thing. And uh, there's not a judgment one way or the other. But to me, it's the same reason I don't like doing double shows anymore. Is like, I want to give that show everything. And know that I can. Yeah. It's not even that every night you're going to have to walk off completely exhausted. It's to know that you have it in your pocket. If you need to go to that place, if you need to push yourself as far as you can in that moment, that you can because afterwards you don't have to do anything. But if you afterwards you have to do anything, another show or another blah, 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 you always keep something up your sleeve because yeah, that's yeah. how it works. Anyway, uh, that's that's good. Um, what about death? Does it uh, worry you at all? Uh, to be honest, like – I was in France after the terror attacks uh-huh. the day after. Oh, my the day parents after? was there the night. Uh-huh. And then I was in Brussels when they went to terror strike four. And I was at the airport. And then when the airport strikes happened, death really fucking scares me. Uh-huh. Like, like really right now. But I think it was anxiety for a whole bunch of other stuff. Like I spoke to one friend about it. And I was just like, I just was sitting in that Brussels airport looking around at everyone thinking I was going to die that day because they told us it was terror. And then three months later, it happens in the same terminal that I was. You know, and it's like I know you – and then the only thing that makes me feel okay about it is knowing that everyone in the world is feeling like this about this shitty kind of time we're in right now. At Coachella, there was a million security checks and it was because they were like due to world events. Right. And it's like – fuck like this is scary and then but then lately i've just been it's fine it's fine but like i've just been in you know like you hear the worst and i think i got i don't get anxiety but that kind of stuff stresses me out Mm -hmm. and that was horrible like to be in france those days like it was horrible and like to have friends like yesterday i've got a lot of french friends my ex-boyfriend was french and like i know i like one of his mates best friends was killed. You know, like I know I know people were affected. I've been to those bars. I'd been all that stuff. And I think that did shake me recently. And like I've had anxiety about flights and all that kind of stuff because of that. But then you just get over it. And I'm slightly getting over it now, but it, I did get scared about death. But I think that's scared about 
terror, I think, more than death. You know, you have to just like live the way you are. But yeah, it was pretty fucking horrible when the Brussels attacks happened because I was just like, I thought about that like the whole day. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Like I had a, a much smaller example of that happening, but like I understand it. I went to the first night of Star Wars here at the Grove, just down yeah. like in a walking distance from here because I walked down that yeah. night. And it was the first night of Star Wars. I bought a ticket on the day. I'm not even that big a Star Wars yeah. fan. I just was like, oh, this will be fun. Yeah. All 14 cinemas were showing Star Wars. So I was like, oh, this is brilliant, right? People were dressed up. You know, these people had booked their tickets like, you know, five months before. And then like 30 minutes into the film, the entire Grove got evacuated because I thought there was a shooter at the movies. And that moment when people thought that's what was happening – well, I mean, you know, it's Pavlov's shooter, I guess, yeah. because it was in another room and we all thought that's what was happening. There is that moment where you yeah. can't help. And because you're in LA and that week the San Bernardino thing had happened and, you know, in Columbine they had that one or wherever it was that yeah. they had the shooter at the movies. You're like, oh, well, this could be – yeah. I mean, I found that Paris thing – I don't know why in particular, but it was so – I think a couple of things. A, that it ha- I saw it happen in real time and I think much like 9-11, like I remember, you know – watching the planes go into the buildings and then kind of you live through the news coverage and then I had to go into work the next morning and much with that Paris thing, you know, it happened early Saturday morning early in Australia essentially. So when you woke up on Saturday morning, like it was happening live yeah. in real time and you were able to watch it on the the uh, on the television and I was doing uh, a show at Giant Dwarf that day, yeah. two shows in fact, that afternoon and – yeah, I, that Paris one in particular really affected – I think maybe because, I mean, the Australian girl who got injured and in it was like a, a fan of mine on it, yeah. the header of her Facebook page. It had like a picture of me and Sam Simmons in bed together, which yeah. was like – but it wasn't just that. It was like, oh, yeah, well, if I was in Paris that night, I might have been out Well, I was in Paris the three or, days before yeah. and it was coming back to Paris on the Sunday. Right. Uh, the Saturday after it happened. And then – no, it was Sunday. And then I was in Dublin asleep and I get texts and mom and dad are there because we have family and friends. Right. Uh-huh. And so like – and I get – I'd slept. I got to Dublin. It was pouring with rain and it was night. And then I go to the club and I'm hearing about shootings in clubs. Right. And I'm DJing and I'm just like in fucking – you're in Dublin. Like, right. But then, then the Irish are like kind of like – yeah, we know. We've been through yeah, this. Yeah, we did this. Like, we've done this. We're old school, mate. You know, the next day I go to the next day I go to Razzmatazz, one of the biggest clubs in Spain. Same thing. I'm playing. It's the day after. They say Europe's under siege. You listen to the fact that the France are going back in, bombing the Middle East, and it's like they're just not giving up. Like, everything's going nuts. And so then I'm looking around for exits. I'm like, okay, if I play, get through that. Next day, fuck it, I'm going to France, have that moment in the airport slept for two days like I just stayed in my friend's house she wasn't there and just stayed in thankfully a lot of my friends were all fine but it was like horrible like it was I was scared to go and then you your head just goes nuts like went for a run and I'm like what if their next targets are runners and it's like you just go through and you're like I've never done a faster like seven Ks in my life because I'm like, I'm fucking going to run off from these guys. My phone got stolen that day. And I'm thinking, you, can't the people just have a f- break from like terror and everything right. the day after? <laughs> and also, I was also there for Red Bull Music Academy. Like, so it was like a whole bunch of people that I knew had gone there. And it was just like insane. But then all my French friends, they're obviously weird, but they are – so French about it, like 
like I've been at Coachella with one of them and she's just like, it is what it is. Like what can you do? Right. And the French, unfortunately, and a lot of the French acknowledge, they have always been incredibly like racist against Muslims. Right. And it come, it stemmed from like it's ISIS is stemmed from like evolutions of like mistreatment. And it's like I'm not saying ISIS are psychopaths, like full stop, but it's like it's just that thing where it's just like Well, I mean, look, we don't we don't need to say that because people who are much greater experts than us said it. The former head of the CIA, John Brennan, said if you bombed anywhere for 14 years, you'd get some terrorists. Yeah. And that's a very simplistic way of talking to the bigger yeah. problem, which is that – and I mean, well, so this is what's interesting to me about Australia. So, like, talk to me about – so when did your dad – like, was your dad born in Australia? No, 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 he was no. born in Cairo. Okay. So, so he was an immigrant to Australia mm-hmm. then. Like, did you grow up, like – with an understanding of like was your story an immigrant story or did it feel not feel like that no not well we were lucky because they they were a wealthy family that came to australia but they also like struggled like when they got to australia but then the goal was education so all the brothers and sisters got educated mum and dad have like they assimilated definitely right they've lost their accents they barely look arab you know like they're they're just parents now and then um Little things like our last name. I can be in an Uber here and I've got an Armenian last name. So it's like straight away you say your name Nina, is Nina and they're either you're Russian or Armenian. And it's like Armenian and then everyone – you know, it's like that is where I can connect. But but yeah, not, not particularly. However, I do remember going when I was in like 99 and we were going to Cairo and about two years earlier they'd had the terrorist attack at the pyramids. Oh. And I remember being a kid telling my mom I didn't want to wear – anything showing the my skin because I heard that Muslims hate that. And I was just like as a kid, so I'm wearing all these, you can see me, like everyone's like in T-shirts and shorts and I'm uh-huh. just like co- fully covered. And it was like I've always been conscious of like offending cultures, like I've always have. And like luckily we're fine, we're there. And then then more recently I went to Cairo during after the um, revolution and I was there with my cousin and they're in a gated community and everything's fine. I had a beautiful pool. and ma- Like it was like ridiculous. And then we go to the, the pyramids and there's no one there at all. And it's like the beggars are like saying, at least with Mubarak, like we got people coming through. Right. You know, now they're all just scared. And it's like then that thing is like, and even going to Paris after the attack, I was like, I have to go. Like right. I can't not go because when you looked at the Mark Safe as Paris on Facebook, I had 94 friends mark themselves at Safe. I'm like wow. 94 of my friends were either in Paris or living in Paris because I do have – I was studied there. Well, after I left house party, I spent two months there. Like I have a strong connection with Paris. I can't not go. Like they have to live there. Right. You know, like they have to live there. And it's one of those things. And even seeing them yesterday, this friend of mine had another friend. They had he was in town, French in town for a wedding, and the two, the couple getting married, were got married in LA. They were in the Vatican, and they got. Um, he saved her life by hearing the shots and running towards the gunsman. Yeah, right. And leaving, and carried her instead of ducking. The people that duck seem to be the ones that got attacked. Uh-huh. The people that run seem to be okay. And he was just like, and the, this wedding was like obviously like fun, but it was just built with like they made it, they got right. through it, they have to live life. It's crazy, right? I mean, it is crazy. So, with that in mind, what do you think? 
uh, we're do like, what do you think about the Australian experience around those sort of things now? Do you feel like you know? If, put okay. Let me put this in a different way. If the problem was in France that they were racist towards Muslims, do you fear that that is the same issue that Australians? Like, do, do you reckon that pattern oh. is being repeated in Australia and the most likely thing to make Australia a target of you know, terrorism in that way is the continued sort of vilification of that? I definitely think that, like, I definitely think that the big solution, like, the best thing to solve, like, these extreme is understanding right. and education. Like, you have to understand where this stuff is coming from to change it. You can't just say fuck them. You can't just say no. You have to know. And I think even that's why some of the young people in France are more understanding and like like they're just – it's just how it is now. But I think a friend of mine in Paris, like, the, like one of the days after I had lunch with a friend and every time something moved, the whole cafe would just be like still. You know, it was like the weirdest. And she said all you can do – is being nice to people like all you can do is just lose the prejudice lose that stuff and try to change the like that's all we can do but then you know like coming back to the lockout laws again no one's addresses the fact that the, everyone losing the jobs like the taxi drivers the security guards the conveniences are all first generation australians like they're all immigrants you know like it's like that thing as well so like we're not doing anything in favor of like really Moving forward, either. No, well, I mean, that you look at the makeup of a lot of the ISIS recruiting and stuff, and they recruit predominantly from like you know gangs and violent gangs and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, because it's exactly the same methodology. Like uh, what you need in someone, which is you need someone who has probably doesn't have ties in their community, like strong ties in the community, is looking for some sort sort of like family or community, like you know has been, and they love the gangs because they can offer them you money. know ab- an absolution. Yeah. The two things they want: guns, money absolution it's right wild. so but but yeah i mean the hardest thing that we can do to prevent all of these things and it's hard and it's increasingly easy for us to not be part of a community but the, the thing you can do to prevent the guy coming into the school and shooting everybody up is not giving teachers guns it's being nicer to people and being more inclusive of people I know, and, and it's making not... people part of your community either so that they don't feel like their community the, like so if that, if someone enjoys a country or enjoys a community they're not going to want to destroy it firstly I know but secondly yeah. if they do want to destroy it the best way for us to find that out is to be talking to people yeah and that's like that's i know it sounds a little thing a little thing like that but like i mean but it's the hardest thing because nobody wants to talk to people like to strangers and increasingly we can i mean we'll talk to strangers on the internet or whatever but like i mean get on a bus or a train or even walk down the street we're all talking to a million different people but we're not really looking at what's around us as much this article about girls like an all-female uber or system Uh because people are starting to feel uncomfortable and i'm like I, I literally like I was just like of course I felt uncomfortable. Like I don't understand why suddenly like all these people with like like lower economic you know lifestyles or jobs suddenly are the the weirdos. Like I feel worse walking into like a room full of bankers than I right. do sitting in a car with a guy that might smell. You know, like it's just like and I just saw it and I was just like, Really? Like, come on, like 
it's just a ride, you know? <laughs> like it's just a ride. And yeah, shit happens, but shit happens everywhere. Well, I mean, that's the 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 high, the more horrible broader point is that at some stage shit is going to happen, regardless of how you live your life. Yeah. Like it, shit happens, but also shit is happening to everybody else yeah. constantly. Yeah. And we're so unaware of what other shit is happening to other people and what they're dealing with. That's, I think, the only thing that's really kind of made me relax about stuff because it was just, I think it was just the timing and being in that touring Europe during that time when everyone's cancelling their tours, not going, and being in Belgium when they had a terror strike. Like I played a festival and they were like, don't gather with groups of young people. And I'm right. like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, and then the poor promoters lose thousands of dollars because no one's going out because everyone's scared. We're playing to like nobody, also scared. And I was like, this sucks. They've really got to us like, right. you know, days after. And it's just like that's the only thing you can do is just like know that everyone feels the same way. All right, that's good. I like that. This is a good podcast. Well done. <laughs> good job. Uh, so tell people about uh, where they can like find your stuff now and yeah. they can find you and all those sort of well, things. Well, I'm Nina Las Vegas on every social media. My record label is NLV Records and that's all in the same. But yeah, like there's a couple of new songs out by myself and Lewis Cancart and it's all happening. So yeah. Very exciting. All right. Well, uh, we'll check back in at some other stage. I appreciate you doing the podcast. Uh, I, for once don't really have much to plug which is very hey. unusual for me you normally I have a lot of going uh, on a holiday shows and stuff yeah i'm going to a, i'm going to a music festival in spain so yeah. if you could please not bomb that yeah, that'd yeah, be great because i'm really looking forward to seeing some shows um no but uh, uh there is a patreon for my other podcast tofop but if you want to support any of the podcasts you can just support the patreon for tofop so it's patreon.com slash tofop t-o-f-o-p uh, and I have uh, three other podcasts, Tofop, Fofop, and uh, an AFL football podcast called Two Guys, One Cup. So you can check those all out for free on the internet. Thank you very much, Nina. No problem. Thanks, Phil.
Stay forever. 